What's up guys and welcome to the Meeple Minded Podcast, a podcast where we talk about all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason. And my name's Ian. And alongside Paul, join us as we bumble our way through the gaming industry. So pop the kettle on, grab a brew, and let's get on with today's episode. Awesome stuff. Brew in hand. I am ready to talk about Toy Story, obstacles and adventures, deck building game. And as I said at the end of the last episode, that really is a tongue twister stupidly (laughs) long name for a board game but nonetheless we are here so are we looking forward to talking about this game Ian? to infinity and beyond (laughs) it starts it starts okay i'm pretty sure there's going to be plenty of quotes throughout this one (laughs) um so yeah what, what made us really want to talk about this game um it's something niche it's something not widely known and i think it's actually quite a good little game it's it's an interesting one it's not something that would rate up at the top 10 games of my list but it's something i would recommend to people playing and trying and it's got a weird difficulty curve on it as well it does it does indeed and we we will definitely be talking about that i think but uh yeah so we'll give you a give you a little a little set the scene shall we the year is 1995 and the whole world is witnessing a movie that will change the world of animation forever. Toy Story is here. We all love it. We all hate it. <laughs> it's a real love-hate film, I think. I know a fair few people that don't like it, but everyone I know that does like it loves it. Yep. Fast forward to 2019, and four full feature-length movies and countless amounts of short movies later, fans of the franchise can now assume the role of their favourite toy and join forces to take on a range of perils that appear throughout the illustrious franchise's history. Toy Story, Obstacles and Adventures is a cooperative deck-building board game that also utilises a narrative scenario aspect with six sealed missions, which I really love. It uses a similar mechanic to the popular Harry Potter deck-building game, so we had pretty high hopes going into this one, didn't we, Ian? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm going to be a little bit biased because I absolutely love this game. Um... I like my deck builders anyway. Um, I'll go into a full run-through of how it plays shortly. Um, and it covers all four Toy Story films, plus two of the longer shorts, which I thought was quite good too. Yes, yeah. It was nice that they actually took in the shorts there as well. And it essentially sort of makes you realise how Canon, Disney, and Pixar actually wanted to make this. So, um, so yeah. Uh, as I said, released in 2019 by The Op, also known as USAopoly. Uh, ironically, the same people that make some of our favourite games, the Rising series, for example. Um, it has a playtime of a ro- around 45 to 90 minutes, depending on the player count and the mission being played, and that is a key thing to remember there. It's good for two to five players aged eight and upwards. So, before we go any further, I'll let Ian tell you how this game is played, uh, and then we'll talk about what comes in the box afterwards. So, as as you open the box and as you start, you pick your mission that you want to start with. Obviously, you play through the films in and everything in order. So the first mission is for Toy Story 1. And I'm going to keep this a spoiler free for the actual game mechanics and stuff as I can. Um, but you only get four of the five available characters because one of the playable characters is Jessie from Toy Story 2. So she is not allowed in the first mission. Um, so you pick your um, character. You get a 10-card starting deck. Much like most of these deck builders... Most of the cards in there give you um, money, which is the um, Pixar ball in this game. 
and then you'll have missions that require you know submissions and like a, a boss mission that all require lamps to be played on them as the damage in this sort of particular deck builder scenario so you use the money to buy more coins you have a track along the bottom of, of cards available to buy um, use the money to buy those you get cards that allow you to draw um, to get rid of the rubbish cards in your deck those sort of things standard deck builder um, prerogative game game mechanics um, obviously also in your missions you have like a little map with a track that tells you how many bad cards to draw each turn um, the further if you, if the, the track with these lovely little metal markers on it for each um, film as well um, if that ever reaches the end you lose and the more things go tits up I think is the best way I can put it the um, harder the um, game becomes and the quicker things advance so it's about micromanaging trying to push yourself back along the track whilst trying to build up your deck to be actually be able to defeat the um, events in the middle of the board um, as the missions go on the things you have to do change I don't want to go into it too detail in case you play it because it is a thematic almost campaign well campaign styled game but the bog standard mission at the front is complete event replace it with a new one until you get the final finale boss one versus Sid you know expected from the first film the later ones require you to do specific things to be able to play the lamps on these things to complete them and they are evil <laughs> we found the difficulty curve for this game incredibly weird but yeah each time you open up a new box there are more cards get added to the um, purchase deck um, introducing some of the fan favorite characters from those different films and shorts that they are um, involved with excellent yeah i couldn't have said that better myself which is why i always let ian do that bit <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure that's the clearest way i've ever described that game but it's close enough yeah definitely you get the gist of the idea so yeah, before we start talking about the gameplay side of things, let's have a little talk about what actually comes in the box here. I've got the list of things written down with me. For the first time in doing one of these, I don't actually have the box here with me. It is over on the shelf, uh, which is behind a big table, uh, which is also covered in stuff. So yeah, I wasn't going to try and fight through to try and get that out at the moment as I move stuff around. But yeah, we're, we, we've both played this game a, a fair few times now, so we know exactly... We've how the components feel well. so yeah so just to run you through what comes in the box and it's a fair bit to be fair um so the first thing you come across obviously is the game board it is a nice size board uh fits nicely on most size you know most tables um bigger than your standard sort of old school board games but again not too big will fit on a standard home table for example you get 262 cards of standard size, uh, made up by them being adventure cards, booster cards, hazard cards, turn orders, uh, and cards that are called You Are A Toy. You get 65 cardboard tokens, again made up into insight, imagination, and health. Five character player boards, as Ian said. Six adventure deck boxes. That is how all of those missions are separated out so that you can't see what's coming in the future. Four dice. Eleven deck divider cards so that once you have played a section rather than putting it back in those sealed deck boxes, you can actually separate them out in the box, which I think is a really nice touch. Six adventure tracks. 
six zinc movers for those adventure tracks, one rule book, and five rule sheets. So that's everything that comes in the box. Let's talk about the quality of those bits. How do, how do we feel that the OP have done with the production on this game? Um, I think it's quite good. One of our triggers that's a little bit disappointing um, is all of the character cards in the entire thing, as in like the, the actual deck, um, are just stock art on the bog standard Toy Story blue and cloud backgrounds. Yeah. Um, so that was a little bit on the disappointing side. The actual character cards have gorgeous artwork, and crisis cards and things all have like pictures straight from the films, which is nice. Yeah. So everything on that side is, I think, is really impressive. The card stock's nice, tokens are nice, and the real bit that takes me is something really simple: is every single map has an individual metal token to move along the track. And I think those look stunning. Mm, yeah. Uh, one negative I'd have is the maps they give you, because obviously you get one for each box. They're fold. They're, they're a cardboard folded map, but they don't sit nicely. Where their bend is, they stay bent a lot of the time. It's quite difficult, and it can slide that metal piece around sometimes. Yes, uh, we did find that a fair few times actually, didn't we? Which is a real shame because the the those little cardboard maps are a really nice little touch. And as you said, the the zinc mover is. Is really nice. It was a nice bit of quality they didn't have to put in. It could have been a cardboard token, and I don't think people would have complained, but making it out of metal really did add just that extra bit of quality to it. But each one's different as well. Each one has a symbol on it to represent the mission that you're doing. Mm. You know, like um, the base one, I'm pretty sure, was um, Andy's mum's car, you know, or the removal van. It was one or the other. Yeah. Um, I haven't got it in front of me, so I can't quite see. I'm just looking through a few pictures now. Um, and one thing I haven't mentioned is um, the character choices for the game are quite nice. You've got Woody, Buzz, Rex, Bo Peep, and Jesse. It's quite a nice variation, and it gives yeah. both for both genders as well. Um, so, yeah, for, for me, again, I'll probably echo most things that you say. Overall, the, the condition, uh, sorry, the quality of this game was very, very good. Um, screenshot artwork is good, but if I'm honest, I really love the unique artwork that was made specifically for the game that comes on those character boards. Really nice car- nice cartoonized artwork of those characters. Thinking about Rex, for example, has a really nice scene behind him on his character board, and it looks amazing. So, top marks for those. Um, again, the screenshots are good. I have no issue with that. The, the actual cards... Card stock is very good. It's, it's pretty standard. It's not amazing. It's not bad. As I said, the, the metal tokens are a really nice touch. Um, that really put my my marks up a, a bit higher. And talk about the rulebook. I think the rulebook was really way, well laid out. I'm going to say 50-50 on this. Um, it took us a few playthroughs before we actually got this game right. Once we understood it correctly, it's quite a simple game to get through. Mm. There's a few mechanics in the game all to do with the danger decks and stuff um, and how and when you move stuff along the map track and things that were quite difficult and not worded particularly well. Yeah. For a game that's aimed at a younger generation as well, it's not particularly easy to understand. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. Um, like I said, I think it's very well laid out. I think its main problem is certain ways that they describe things aren't as clear as they probably could have been. But short of that, once you do learn it, the game is so easy and really nice, simple, easy to learn and teach. 
which is a is a big key thing for us. Let's face it, we've had far worse rule books, but we've had better ones. That's a better way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Absolutely spot on. So yeah, everything that comes in the box, I, I would give it a, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I, I would rate, rate the stuff in the box quite highly. Um, I don't think the OP have skimped out on the stuff in the box. And it's not an expensive game, which I really like, especially being that it's an IP-based game. And especially when that IP is Disney, you know, you expect the... Um, the price point to be incredibly high, but this one is not. I think when I got it, it was around the £30 mark. Yeah. Um, so there's a decent amount of stuff in there for the price point. Okay, so key thing. How does the game play? What do we think about the gameplay? Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I like my deck builders anyway, so it's difficult to not enjoy a game like this. It's interesting how you've got to, with all of these sort of games, you've got to micromanage getting decent cards in your deck, getting rid of the rubbish cards you start with whilst trying to actually not get overrun by all of the um, main mission of the game. Yeah. Again, I'm I'm very much the same as you. I, I like deck builders. Um, I will say at this juncture, um, for people that are looking for a really serious game, uh, maybe a really serious deck builder, this is probably not going to be for you. It's not even close to the game style play of the likes of Dominion and stuff like that. This is as you can imagine from the box and the theme, this is aimed at families. So it is a very good game, but don't expect this to be a serious game. That is one sticking point, though. For a game aimed at families, it's it's not particularly simple and easy to adjust. You kind of need to have played through and know what you're doing first. And, you know, I reckon I could teach it quite easily now, having done all six missions. But with the rules wildly changing between each mission, it's quite a struggle. And also, for a game aimed at younger kids, it plays through the it plays through the Toy Story stuff through the timeline. Mm. But it means the modern stuff that the younger kids have probably been introduced to first. You know, for example, one of my favourite characters is Forky, who is only in Toy Story 4. He's in the very last mission. So when you've got a deck that you've added to for six missions worth... Yeah. I think we saw his card come up once and then I had to fight to be able to buy it because you lot tried to be mean to me. <laughs> <laughs> that we did. That we did. And it was, that was probably the most enjoyable part of playing that game. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I totally get what you're saying. If, if you've got people that are really heavily into the later, the movies that you have to remember those characters are not going to be in the game until much, much later. Um, and that leads me on nicely to, to actually talking about getting to that later stage because the difficulty rating on on this game, it's not a hard game. It's a very easy game to learn. However, the difficulty curve from one mission, I think it was the second mission was okay. Yeah, the first mission was pretty easy. The second mission was okay. And then the third mission, unless we were playing it wrong, the third mission just felt like it was brutal. It took us so many replays to actually complete that mission. And again, I, I, I will state, I don't know if it's because we were doing something wrong or whether we missed a, a, a key thing that we could have done in order to get through it. But it, it did feel very, very difficult. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the, the, the curve on that was, was crazy. Once you'd done the third mission, it sort of dulled back down again. But it just felt like that third mission, which was based on one of the shorts, if I remember correctly... It's yeah. 
it it's was just brutal. It, it, its mechanic changed instead of having the missions like replace themselves as the game goes on, where you complete one and get a new one. It just had static missions that all had really difficult conditions to be able to apply the damage to them. Yeah, and that's that was a new mechanic for those sort of games. We haven't seen that really before, but it was just brutal and trying to build your deck up to a point where you can micromanage that without it just without the negatives that it imposes on you completely ruining you on a turn by turn yeah. basis yeah exactly <laughs> it means you've got to really focus what you're doing very quickly and we didn't we just like i want to buy the cards <laughs> um yeah, yeah which didn't work no not at all so yeah, I, I think gameplay wise it's it's really good. It's nice and simple to learn once you, you know, actually read the rules properly. And it is it's nice because it does add in that sort of micromanage side of things as well. One thing to also remember when playing the game, uh, when it's your turn, you do have to spend all of the tokens that you've procured during that turn, otherwise you lose them. Yeah. So, you know, the lamp tokens that you use to damage the villains as long as you play them and they they are sat on that villain they will stay there um so you don't have to kill a, a villain outright on your turn however the money tokens that you get if you do not spend them unless you've got a certain card that's in one of the decks you will lose them they, they don't carry over to your next turn so yeah you want to spend them you want to buy more cards you want to build up your deck as quickly as possible uh, to help you start getting those damage Pixar lamps. But with any deck builder game, if you don't get cards that can scrap cards out of your deck, you will end up with a huge deck where you still end up with the starter cards clunking you up. So it's a difficult balance. Mm, yeah. One thing I really like, and, and this really plays to the family aspect of this game, which was you don't really die in this game. <laughs> you get shelved. You get shelved. Now, you do have a a health tracker, and it's, I think, if I remember correctly, it's ten. Ten, it's 10 health. And if you get down to zero, you get shelved. So very much like, like the movie, you can imagine some of your stitches has come out, and Andy's mum has put you on the shelf. You only stay there for the remainder of your turn, and then when it comes back round to you, you then spring back into life, and you're back in the game with a full health. So that can happen over and over and over and over and over again. So... Kids aren't going to be disheartened by it because they're not going to be removed from the game. You're going to continue playing, which I think is a really nice touch. However, you do get penalised quite heavily for this happening. You get limited card pool for your following turn, and the more you keep getting shelved, the more the game runs away with itself. <laughs> yes, indeed, yes. Because <laughs> I think it moves the track along the map as well. It does. So, yeah, it's it snowballs quite badly, I think, was the problem on that front. Yeah. I think if, you, if you're if you playing with someone like me who tends to be quite reckless with their health, yeah, it's, it's going to accelerate quite quite quickly. So you don't want to be going in all guns blazing and just happily, oh, it's all right, I'll just die and I'll come back. I'll die and I'll come back. I'll die and I'll hang on a minute. The track's moved along 10 just because of me, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, gameplay-wise... I'm really happy with it. I think it is very easy to learn once you figure out how to read it. I think a lot of the issues when it comes to us reading certain rule books is actually, as silly as it sounds, the language barrier. You know, although, for example, Americans and British speak English, it's two different types of English, you know. So they could write something in a certain way that makes sense to them and it won't make sense to us here in the UK. So... 
sometimes also there's just us overreading things. Yeah. yeah Thinking they're... things should be more difficult than they are and not actually paying attention to what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that as well. Definitely. So, yeah, that is the what we think about the gameplay um, and the components. So that, that's pretty much everything we really need to talk about. So do you have any sort of final thoughts on, on the game itself? Like, how do you, who do you think it's for? Um, I'm going to do a quick pros and cons. I think it's probably easier for me. Yeah, yeah. Pros of the game. Um, it's another good deck builder. It's a good entry into deck builders. The actual gameplay style is quite quick. It's quite simple once you can get your head around it. Um, and it's quite immersive you know it really fits the toy story theme and it plays you through the stories of each of the um, six film slash shorts that it takes you through cons are artwork could have been improved it's not as much as we said before in the last episode box art is okay but it's not great you know it's not the sort of thing that unless you're looking for toy story might drag you to pick it up off the shelf straight away over some other games and again the artwork in the game could have been better i'd have actually preferred um, movie images, you know, movie stills for all of the character cards rather than just the um, danger cards and the events and things. Mm. Um, or professional artwork done, but then you get really expensive if you start doing that. Yeah. Um, Quality is good for the game, and I like the fact that it's modular, but it's not, you know, you can go back or forwards really easy. It's not just a one playthrough game. Yeah. You, all of the cards are labelled from which um, thing they come from. So um, it's easy to just put, reset the game back to mission one or put it up to mission six. But on the flip side, one more down point from that is Forky is not in Toy Story 1, so Forky is not played throughout the whole game, so thus <laughs> there is a big issue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. We are, that's what we've, we've come to here on, on the podcast, <laughs> is we're going to be downgrading this game purely because it doesn't have Forky throughout. It needs more sporks. I, I was just invested <laughs> at this point. I actually don't like Forky as a character, so we we balance each other out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I alive? <laughs> um. So, I mean, what thoughts do I have on the game? This is a tough one. I have to put myself in the mindset of a family man. This game is fantastic for the whole family, I think. Uh, providing the kids aren't too young, obviously. And I think it will also appeal to groups of seasoned gamers, providing they're only looking to play a light-hearted game. Since the characters have the health track, the characters do take damage, but you know don't die per se. I do like that. Um, as you said, I, I I do like the fact that you get punished essentially if you keep dying. But it, it's good because it keeps people invested in the game. That you know they, it doesn't matter if they die; they're, they're still going to keep playing. As I said earlier, experienced players of Deck Builders game may not feel the need to collect tokens for each item listed on their cards, for example, when they play them. Instead, they may just add up their their icons and and know how much they have to spend to buy cards because obviously it's what they're used to. But they will still need to place those those insight tokens that the, the, the Pixar tokens towards the next hazard. You know, whereas when I'm used to playing a, a, a deck builder, I'm used to dealing all the damage in one go on my, by myself rather than carrying it over and multiple players joining in. So that that was a little bit getting used to for me. Um, but I like the fact that it really does draw all of the characters together, very much like the movie, to defeat the villain or, you know, or whatever it is they're going against or the, the task. The first mission is very easy. I would encourage everyone to play it. Um, if you don't like the first mission, 
yeah, I, I would stick it out at least for one or two missions uh, to see Story. how you feel. Toy Story 2 is really where it starts to try and put some meat into the game. And yeah. even that's still, you know, is simple enough. Mm. But that is really where things start to progress into a game. Yeah. Toy Story yeah. 1 is just a training mission at the end of the day. Yeah. I, I like the fact that it is a f- up to a five player game. It's kind of sucky that you can't have five players from the off. I w- it would have been nice to have maybe a, m- a bigger variety of characters as well, but I also appreciate to take them out. It does keep the cost down, uh, which is which, as I said, was a really nice appeal for this game. I find it a fun and lightweight family family cooperative board game which i think would sit nicely on a family board game night again going back to the current world situation this would be a great game for families to sit down and learn uh, and i will stick by that uh, i would definitely recommend it especially for the price so let's finish up by talking about our personal game ratings and i think me and ian are going to differ on this slightly but yeah what would you give it as an overall score and is this a game that you would recommend someone go out and buy? Yes, I think my overall score is an 8, I think. Um, It's one of these games, if you like deck builders, it's definitely worth at least a playthrough. And I think, you know, it's a good entry level for deck builders as well. I thoroughly enjoyed it, so I'm slightly biased. I love the IP. I liked the game. I I would happily play this over and over again, but that's... I'm trying to keep my bias out of this to a degree, you know, because of the... What the the theme around the game is, you know, we discussed this last week on uh, what attracts us to a game. This game's always going to attract me because I like Toy Story, I like Pixar, you know. Yeah. Um. So it gains bonus points for me on that sort of front. But it is a good game, and I would recommend people trying it. Cool. I, I differ slightly. Uh, I've given it a seven out of ten. It is slightly less. Um. It. I, I'm not going to lie. Before I added in the value, uh, category, it was actually only a six out of ten. So by adding in the value, it has actually bumped me up by one. Um, to give you a rough idea of how, how I rate my games, for example, anything over a five is good. So five to seven is, is a good game that I would happily play and recommend to people. Uh, eight is essentially my bronze award. Nine is my silver award. And ten, ten out of ten is, is, is the best you can get from me. Um, so yeah, I think seven out of ten for this game is, is a really good location for me to put it on my list. Um, it's good. I would definitely play it. Uh, I would recommend it, which is the key thing here. I would definitely recommend people buy it, especially if you've got a, a family that like the Toy Story uh, game. It is a really nice entry into deck building as well. If if deck building is something that you're interested in but are not sure at what point to jump in, this is actually a great gateway deck builder. So yeah. 7 out of 10 for me. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it sitting there. Yep. So guys, have any of you played Toy Story Obstacle and Adventures cooperative deck building game? I'm glad that's the last time I've had... I'm going to be saying that. <laughs> <laughs> have any of you played that game, guys? What did you think? How Are we way off the mark? Do you understand everything that we, we've said? All of our pros, our cons for the game? We would love to hear from you if you want to let us know what you what your opinions are you can let us know on any of the social media sites facebook instagram and twitter by searching for meeple minded media but short of that we are going to hand over for our news segment with our good friend paul over to you dr porkchop indeed (laughs) see you in a second guys hello my meeples 
Yeah, Brian's here too. Suppose you want to know if we've been up to anything exciting this week? Well, firstly, I must be pretty persuasive with my Kickstarter recommendations, because I backed two that I mentioned last week, which in turn resulted in me gaining super backer status on Kickstarter, but meant I had to reset my crowdfunding clock back to zero again. So Brian, what have you been up to? Well, that's boring. I'm not telling them that. Oh, you've catalogued our game collection. Hang on, do I really want to know? Hell's bells. Really? Not including expansions? Do not, repeat, do not tell my wife that, will you? Bribery, huh? Right, I'll be having words with you in a moment. News first. Jamie Stagmire took to his YouTube's channel this week to announce Stonemaier Games' latest game. Stonemaier Games is famous for great games such as Scythe, Viticulture and Charterstone and responsible for bringing Elizabeth Hargrave's titles Wingspan to our tables. The latest board game is Red Rising and has been co-created by debut designer Alexander Schmidt and is based on the science fiction novel series by Pierce Brown. The book series follows the character of Darrow, a 16-year-old who lives in a dystopian world set hundreds of years in the future, with its citizens sorted into 14 different castes, each one having access to certain privileges and rights. The upcoming game is for 1-6 to six players who become members of a house that has ambitions of improving its social standing and rising through the ranks to the higher castes. Should you gather enough support from followers and influence from important individuals, players will have to decide whether to tear down the system or take their place in the highest coloured cast, the golds. Throughout the game, players will use their hand of five cards to gradually collect enough allies needed to advance to a higher cast. On their turn, players can place one of their cards at a location on the game board, thereby gaining that location's effect. The player then takes a card from another location, which will be displayed face-up, or from the main deck, which remains face down, and adds it to their hand. As the game continues, players will gather points by activating the various locations spread across the board and collecting valuable cards into their hand. Whichever player has the largest point total by the end of the game is granted the opportunity to become a gold, or to possibly take another path entirely. The release date for Red Rising is yet to be confirmed by Stonemaier Games, but keep an eye on their social media channel as they release more information about the game. With plenty of people breaking out Z-Man Games' classic Pandemic recently, yeah, I don't know why, the two have announced their next board game release, Cryo, a worker placement game for two to four players, as players attempting to survive a disastrous mission on an alien planet. On a frozen planet, an explorative mission has just gone terribly wrong. Players find themselves in command of a colony ship as it plummets to the surface of an icy planet. Way off course and unable to restart the engines, players will need to do whatever they can in order to survive on this desolate tundra. Players start the game becoming leaders of their own hostile factions, with each one attempting to gather what little supplies and resources they can, whilst being sure to maintain control over the caverns nestled underneath the planet's surface. Players will still have to brave the waste above if they want to scavenge vital resources and crew left in cryostasis from the colony ship, any additional resources from the planet's surface and eventually beneath it. Players will be obtaining technology cards that provide three different options. Upgrades, missions and vehicles. Using an upgrade card grants that player a special ability 
that they'll be able to use throughout the game, whilst missions provide secret objectives that give the player's chosen faction bonus points if they successfully complete them. Alternatively, vehicle cards offer the players ways to transport members of their faction, enabling them to spread further across the planet and gain more ground. Cryo is designed by Tom Jolly, co-creator of magical duels board game WizWar and fantasy game Cave Troll, and Luke Laurie, who previously worked together on the Manhattan Project Energy Empire. Cryo is set to be released sometime this spring at a retail price of $60 or £45. In announcements on the websites for both Fantasy Flight Games, the studio behind Keyforge, and Atomic Mass Games, who are now responsible for Star Wars miniature games Legion, X-Wing and Armada, it was confirmed by both parties that the Keyforge and Star Wars Miniatures World Championships will not be taking place this year and indeed has been pushed back until 2022. Both studios reference the current distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine worldwide, but are emphasising the need to be cautious until the current situation is more secure. Atomic Mass said our first priority is the health and safety of our staff and community, with Fantasy Flight highlighting its desire to not take any risks regardless if they are related to the spread of COVID-19 or anything else. Both posts did confirm that there could be smaller organised play events taking place near the end of 2021, depending on the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine throughout the year. Both publishers reiterated that earned invitations for either the 2020 Keyforge World Championships or any of the Star Wars Miniature Games 2020 World Championships will still be able to compete in the upcoming 2022 Championships. This will also apply if the 2022 World Championships for Keyforge or Star Wars Miniature Games are further delayed. And we're going over to Kickstarter now, and the first game coming up should remind you of a famous science fiction film, I believe, or indeed book, Do Androids Dream, from a company called M Studios. It's for 3 to 8 players, and up to 12 with the expansion, ages 12 plus, takes about 30 minutes per player, with a base set coming in at £25, and included expansion brings it up to 45, and the campaign ends on February 22nd. This is a cyberpunk version of Russian Roulette, where you learn if you are a human or if your memories and dreams are implants. Players take turns drawing cards until someone becomes unlinked from reality, essentially slipping over into the cyberspace and joining the cyber zombies, and therefore loses the game. Deck is made up of special cards that let you avoid becoming unlinked by using implants, previewing cards before you draw, hacking cards forcing your opponents to deep dive to draw multiple cards or rebooting, shuffling the deck. Game gets more and more intense with each card you draw as less cards left in the deck mean a greater chance of drawing the card which transforms you from human or android into an unhinged cyber zombie. The final player standing is baseline tested to determine if they are human or android. A failed baseline means you are hunted down and retired. Second game on Kickstarter is Time Editors by Aspen Leaf Games. It's for two to four players, ages 12 and up, and takes 30 minutes per player. And the base game is £45, and the campaign is set to end on March the 4th. The year is 2475, and the amount of anomalies created throughout time in the 20th century has become a major world concern. The FTCN? 
Federation of Time Travelling Capable Nations has voted that all nations must give up their time travel capabilities. A single task force of time editors, agents that specialise in changing the timeline, will be kept on standby in the event they are needed to save humanity from any possible future disasters. I know, haven't any of them watched any time travel movie ever? Anyway, only the nation with the most skilled time editors will retain their use of time travel. The task force of time editors will be chosen through a time editing trial. The first nation to prevent four disastrous past events will retain the use of time travel and will have command of the official global task force of time editors. The game is a blend of resource and economy management, worker placement and some storytelling. Players' mats have two halves, past and present, with only specialists and resources being able to be used in their respective time periods. Specialists include science, technology, military and politics, each with unique abilities when they are in the present, but when they travel back in time to change the past, you lose their abilities in the present. You can send one to four specialists, back in time if you have the necessary resources. Sending multiple or all at once will reduce the wormhole resources needed by reducing the number of time jumps, but keeping some specialists in the present will allow you to use their abilities to strengthen your economy, intelligence and undermine other nations. Each player is given unique disasters in the past that they will need to prevent. There are 16 timelines with 80 unique events. In order to change the timeline and prevent a disaster, you must change the events leading up to said disaster. Attempts at changing the timeline involve storytelling, a game test of favourite, and pulling tiles to create ripples through time. What could possibly go wrong? And lastly on Kickstarter this week, it's a programme called Let's Roll. And it's self-published, and the campaign ends on March the 6th. The main pledge level is £45 per set, or £106 for all the sets. Let's Roll is a modern and accessible web platform allowing you to play RPGs online. The platform, which has been vigorously playtested for the last 14 months in its alpha state, and offers a full set of intuitive, immersive and comprehensive functionalities to any budding DM. What Let's Roll are asking for is help in development of the beta, set to launch in September, by offering pledge levels, gifting backers immediate access to the alpha build, together with horror, fantasy or sci-fi themed support packs to get you well on the way. Access to the platform in September will be free, and will always be free, claim the studio, but microtransactions for things such as 3D dice sets, character sheets, skins, avatars, etc. will all help keep the lights on. So this is an ideal way to get in on the alpha as it's developed. And events news. Uh, Virtual Tabletop Gaming Live will be hosting its Spring Showcase over the weekend of the 27th and 28th of March. The team behind Tabletop Gaming Magazine and Miniatures War Games return this spring with a showcase of what the gaming community is looking forward to for 2021 and beyond. Visit www.tabletopgaming.co.uk to watch announcements, new game playthroughs and sneak peeks of what's coming from our favourite publishers and designers over the next few months entirely free. The Tabletop Gaming Spring Showcase will let gamers see and hear firsthand from designers and publishers what they'll be playing later in the year and beyond. The free virtual show does not require sign-up. Attendees will be able to browse stands and video content from publishers, big and small, as well as retailers at their own pace, just like a real convention. Fresh content will be going live every hour, meaning there's always something new going on over the weekend. 
So that's www.tabletopgaming.co.uk and that's on the weekend of the 27th to the 28th of March. Also, a reminder that this weekend is Renegade Game Studios' Renegade Con over the weekend of February 12th to the 14th. Head on over to renegadegamestudios.com to grab your free tickets, seats at some of the tables and access to the dedicated Discord server for a full weekend of panels, industry interviews, workshops, tournaments, live plays and demos of both games and RPGs, as well as access to lots of Renegade games via Tabletopia. Our local groups are always around during the week via Discord and Zoom, playing games via Tabletop Simulator and Board Game Arena. Crawley Gaming Community meet up on a Monday evening as always. Head on over to their Facebook page and or Discord server for up-to-date information. Lewis Board Game Group and Trinity Gaming Cafe are online as are Worthing Board Gamers on Thursday evenings. So head on over to their social media pages for more information. Well, with that, it brings us to the end of this week's escapades from the tabletop gaming world. We shall be back next week with some more news, crowdfunding campaigns, and hopefully some more events. Look after yourself, meeples. Stay safe and keep the dice rolling. It's a goodbye from him. And indeed, a goodbye from me. Until next week, goodbye. Thanks for that, Paul, and thank you guys once again for joining us here on the Meeple Minded Podcast. It has been a pleasure talking about the Toy Story deck building game. But yeah, we're going to sign off for today. If you would like to uh, do us all a favour by, you know, liking, sharing, following, subscribing, whatever it is you have to do for this podcast, it really helps us to try and get this podcast out to as many people as possible. We also now have our YouTube channel up and running. Video content is slowly starting to make its way there, so please do go and subscribe on our YouTube channel as well. And yeah, is there anything else you want to add today, Ian? No, once again, usual sort of stuff with the way the world is. Stay as safe as you can and keep well. Keep on gaming and keep on that hope that one day we can all start meeting up again and actually getting these games back on the table in person indeed indeed yeah i i, I think we are now past the halfway point uh, i'm i'm saying this very optimistically i think we're past the halfway point i think we're going to be seeing each other in person somewhere in this year but anyway guys thank you very much for joining us it's been a pleasure talking to you once again about games and all things gaming related we will be back next week we will see you then thank you very much for joining us game safe and we'll see you then bye 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 bye